0: Hello, and welcome to How to Exit. Uh, today, I'm here with Andrew, and I'm going to let you say your own last name. I uh, want you to tell us your name there.
1: Sure. Andrew Pierno.
0: Pierno. So I think I can get that one right. So yeah. there's a growing trend where I'm butchering people's names, and I'm trying to get out of it. So uh, so today, uh, we're here, and you have experience in buying, and the first one we've had on the show, we're buying software company, right? Software as a Service, uh, SaaS. Um, and... Uh, so I think we're going to get into that. The first place I like to start always is kind of how did you get into the space, um, your origin story a little bit. Uh, so just kind of can we start there? Would that work for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I went to school at Berkeley. I have a degree in econ and computer science, um, and I kind of got my start at a venture studio here in Santa Monica. So we had half of the business that was pure traditional venture, right, just kind of a fund um, the kind of more interesting, uh, side of the business was we also had a small fund to build companies internally. Uh, again, when I say companies for the duration of this, this conversation, I just mean software, uh, that's all I know. Um, so we had a small fund to build. We, we got, uh, like a million bucks, three, three million bucks, a million to do for each company. Right. So like each company got a million bucks, um, tried to do a consumer application that didn't work. Um, did kind of like a distressed venture deal that one went like uh, decently well. Um, and then the winner in our portfolio uh, was a, a machine learning kind of deep tech computer vision type thing. I ended up becoming Cto of that. Um, we raised about eight million dollars for that. It was a whole kind of venture track type of um, type of deal and fast forward you know several years later. um we sold the assets off it wasn't it wasn't a, a meaningful or, or great exit but that informed how i think about buying software businesses today uh the i i joke that i i figured out the like the wrong way to do a venture studio um and almost everyone i've ever talked to that's done a venture studio has about the same feedback which is you know don't do it uh if, if you're not familiar what a venture studio is it's like the idea of uh it's almost like a search fund but like you're building a bunch of different things and then you just kind of "Quote unquote, see what works, and then you just go do the thing that works." It sounds so logical, right? Um, but the execution of it is uh, much more difficult. Um, but there, there are kind of core concepts that we we still use today. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, just through the venture studio. Um, and I'm I'm skipping over like six year gaps, right? Uh, I was CTO of that company for for a long time, um, and then yeah, once once that ended, I I just decided, you know, what if we what if we skip that that painful experimentation phase that might take between one and three years and we buy something that's working to some extent um, and and see if we can take it and grow it from there.
0: Awesome. So <clears throat> when my guys are out there, the guys that listen to the show, a lot of them are on the acquisition side. They have a buying criteria, meaning that like uh, for us, it's typically a lot of brick and mortar so there's a lot of things like they've been in business for five years they show a profit they starting to at least get some standard operating procedures and stuff so there's some systemization around it what would be the buying criteria that you would look for for a sas you know a piece of software uh, under this the sas model
1: so right now it's i mean i'm sure you've seen on micro acquire other marketplaces i mean there are things on there where people make like eight dollars a year and they want a million bucks for their Crappy tool they just built last week. You know, it's just crazy out there right now. So um, we have three partners here. I'm I'm kind of a bit of a gunslinger, um, and we do have somebody that's uh, kind of in private equity on the real estate side that that keeps our uh, keeps me and and the company from making uh, poor decisions. So he's he's really the sober one when it comes to financials. But buying criteria. I mean, you, the the implication here is like almost a thesis type question too. Um, we started with a very narrow thesis, right? We're, we're going to go buy some very specific kind of software. And we went out to the market and there was nothing for sale. So we spent about four months just trying to find a deal that matched our thesis. And and after a while, we just said, you know, forget this. Let's just go buy things that are small. Let's go make reasonable, um, reasonable buys for reasonable multiples. So if we lose our ass, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and uh, it ended up uh, working out for those initial two. So we've done five, uh, acquisitions to date. Um, we've sold one of them off. Um, most of them are, are developer tools. So software developer tools. So like our the audiences, we sell to software developers, which is a, um, really difficult customer segment. Uh, and two of them are actually X Y Combinator companies. So if you're unfamiliar with Y Combinator, it's like the world's premier startup accelerator. And this kind of ties it back to my experience with, uh, the, the computer vision company is that Uh, sometimes you get on the venture, let's call it rabbit wheel or or flywheel or whatever. You're on that path. And, uh, when everything works well, and you go from step, you know, pre seed to seed to series A to B to C all the way up to going public, um, that, that venture path can work quite well. Um, and the problem is, is when you, you miss one of those steps, which we did, uh, there's almost nowhere to go. And, and a lot of times those deals go to zero. So I spend a lot of time these days thinking about um, what, what does it look like for Exo to continue buying these SaaS companies, but be a little bit more specific in that we buy kind of venture distressed deals, which distressed venture deals might actually just mean they're amazing small businesses. They just don't happen to be right for the venture model.
0: Yeah, there's a huge play inside of acquisitions and mergers, even in the brick and mortar to do what's called carve outs, right? So a big company, like you know, maybe not as big as Google, but let's use Google for example, they buy a company that has two or three different divisions and one of them is just kind of doesn't fit in with Google's model, right? A lot of times the Googles of the world will either shut that down or carve it off and sell it for really reasonable prices. So uh, I think it's like, cause it just doesn't make significant uh, contribution to what their goals are. And I can see that the same thing happens inside of the venture capitalist, right? Uh, The venture, the VC firms are looking for hundred plus X. And if you don't have a trajectory to that, you're kind of just wasting their time. Uh, So I can see where you can step in and, and yeah, I always just like
1: to be very clear. One, I'm definitely not anti-venture. I have a bunch of friends that are in venture. Awesome guys. I just think that that model is very specific. And I think it it applies to a much smaller number of companies than you might believe just reading stuff about software startups uh, in the Wall Street Journal or whatever. They they make it seem like, oh, you want to go start a software company. Step one, build something. Step two, go raise a bunch of money because that's how this is done. There are just like so many other paths that are much more reasonable. And so I always use these, these moments to say, look, there are other ways to do this. Uh, and I, and particularly for for younger first time entrepreneurs, like if you don't have some, I don't know, let's say some whatever your your fu money in the bank number is, if you don't have that yet, actually, like maybe don't go take a, a unicorn type of swing, right? Don't go try and take a home run swing. Go try and take like a go get a base hit, right? Let's go see what that's like. And that's such a more reasonable, I think, predictable. Um, path. And I always, again, like to use these opportunities to just reiterate that there's more than one way to build a software company.
0: Yeah, I can. Sorry. Uh, I can see that totally. And I actually tell people all the time, I don't do I don't go unicorn hunting. Right. And that includes in some of like there are some brick and mortar type of businesses who believe they're kind of a unicorn, right? They're going to be the next billion dollar company. Chances are, more often than not, you're not going to be. And if you're trying to sell at that value, like I'm going to be that, then there's an unrealistic expectation. And there are lots of people on the planet that need is fulfilled. There are plenty of unicorn hunters on the planet, uh, VC firms and you know, uh, private equity, that type of stuff, that you can enroll in your vision and and, and, and they'll put money into it. I'm just not that guy, right? Um, I'm looking for... Like when I go out and look, I'm looking for something that, you know, immediate returns, it's running well, we can grow it, maybe bolt on some other stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's uh, some arbitrage plays you can play inside of the acquisitions and mergers games where if you get above certain thresholds, the multiple, the business's worth goes up. And I'm sure that's the same way in your realm, right? You buy a business that's generating $1,000 a month, you can get it at one or two X seller's discretionary earnings. You get the thing up to, you know, uh, you know, a hundred thousand two hundred thousand $200,000 a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year in profit. Now in the SaaS space, that's crazy right now, isn't it like 30 X or something? What's the, what's the
1: multiple for a well-running SaaS right now? Some, well, the, the listed multiple or the thing that people like the, the amount that you actually pay, because what's interesting is like one, I don't know that one to two exists right now. Uh, we've gotten, <clears throat> we've gotten very lucky with some very specific deals that were off market um so i mean i i'm finding deals on twitter or just through my network that are off market and they're never gonna go to market right we'll just kind of incrementally keep offering them more not to go to market right now uh because i don't i don't think one to two is uh possible i think three to three to five is is reasonable um but some of these are just astronomical i mean anything above 10 to me listed on micro acquire Just doesn't make sense or any of these marketplaces because those are strategic acquisition numbers and we're not going to be a strategic acquirer like we're just we're just not if you want that 10x then go to your competitors that are big and have raised a bunch of money and go see if they'll pay 10x because like we can't, we can't make, we can't make our business model work if we pay those numbers. And
0: what he just brought up is a strategic uh, purchase for you. For you guys that are own businesses and are looking or thinking about selling, the difference between an, a, a buyer like myself or even an institutional buyer, uh, we're looking for something we'll own and grow. A strategic buyer is typically one of your competitors or somebody who's going to buy you because it, it improves or plays upon the strategy they already have. And they're going to pay a higher premium right? They're going to pay, they're going to pay more, uh, but there's far fewer of them. So it's, you're almost a unicorn or you, 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 know, <laughs> you know, you've got unicorn qualities there uh, or you, or you've, uh, I've seen people, uh, what, what's called built to sell type of things. They build their business to be bought by Google, right? I, I in the marketing space, I was actually on the phone uh, for one of the marketing uh, acquisitions we were looking at and she came from Google they created a firm around, like all of the employees are expats from Google, like the, they're all Google. And there's very likely Google, and they're doing millions now, Google and, and Google's their biggest client now. It's so like Google think event, will eventually buy them back and bring them back in-house. But that's, that's even rare. So uh,
1: Yeah, that sounds like some inside baseball. By the way, I mean, it's, it's, it, that's almost as rigged as uh, a lot of things in, in the startup world, right? Like think about what Y Combinator, one of these accelerators do effectively with a network of thousands of companies. Now, if you get funded by Y Combinator and you can sell your product to other Y Combinator startups, you've just created some kind of cash machine to at least get to a certain level right now, right. is that going to get you to escape velocity to become a, a unicorn or a standalone business? No, but could you carve out like a nice five to $10 million a year business just by initially selling to YC companies? I think yes. And that's kind of like, I I haven't really heard that um, articulated very often that honestly, a lot of these, these games that you see being played and celebrated, it's a lot of inside baseball, like what you said with the people that came from Google, left Google, sold a product to Google, and then Google buys the company. That happens a a lot. Right. Um, And then of course, getting in one of these accelerators where you have this cohort that can sell products to each other um, and kind of use, you know, the, the explosive economic growth and, and the, the cheap capital to, uh, get just absurd valuations very quickly.
0: You know, it's been happening for quite a while too. I, I left the tech industry. Uh, shoot, I've been married for what, 14, 15 years now. So I left the tech industry at least 15 years ago. And the last, the second to last big company I worked for, uh, startup wise, about a hundred employees, our CEO, uh, basically one of our bigger investors, um, our, our last CEO came from, I can't say who it is just because I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not say, but the story is still relevant. The CEO came from that, that company that was one of our bigger investors. And then within a year, that company bought us. right? So we were looking for a new CEO. The, one of the key employees from that bigger company left and came over and became our CEO. And then within yeah. a year, we sell back to the bigger, one of our primary investors. That happens a lot right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is an inside game side of the acquisition and mergers merger uh, side that can work for you or you just got a nose there.
1: Yeah, well, another another part of this is just this is a relationships business, right? I mean, this buying a business, there's so much after you buy you wish you knew during the diligence process that you're just never going to catch. And so there has to be a lot of trust between a buyer and a seller. Um, it's one of the main obstacles I think micro acquire needs to overcome is because even though it's, you know, it's listed and transparent, you can log into the payment processor, the bank account, there still needs to be some trust built up that they're going to be there for you post acquisition. Um, when stuff really hits the fan, which we've had some, some buyers that were, uh, great or some sellers that were great. And some that, uh, as soon as we wired the money, we, we never really talked to them again. And, uh, those obviously were, were tough for us. So
0: i've met people in this industry who've been doing it for 20 years 30 years i'm interviewing a guy tomorrow who's literally been buying and selling business for over 30 years now he's kind of a uh i don't want to put any words in his mouth but he kind of does a search fund type of thing now he helps people find businesses to buy but um the one of the things i've noticed is we're always, always learning. There's always new stuff inside of this space to learn. So, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, what is the biggest area around buying and selling mergers and acquisitions that you're curious about, and why?
1: What's the biggest like knowledge gap I have in, in buying these? Not things? knowledge.
0: It's something that's still. Cur- so you're still. There's. Is there an area that you're still kind of exploring, learning that you're just curious about inside of the mergers and acquisitions space?
1: Um. Not necessarily in the merge, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about learning more. We need to learn more and we, we need a marketing function and a growth function, which I don't think we have really locked in. I mean, you know, it would be absurd to kind of say, oh yeah, we, we know growth and we, we know growth super well, um, cause every business is, is quite unique. And obviously if you could do that with any kind of predictability, you wouldn't, uh, I don't know, you would never need to work again. Um, but I, I don't think that that's what you meant by your question.
0: No, I was just curious if there's some area out there like, you know, if we, you know, our next move is to learn this, like to, to uh, I don't know, um, you know, switch from the capital version to doing LBO, le- leverage buyout, where we're doing SBA loans to buy bigger, bigger chunks of companies, or is there an I area see, yeah. that you haven't got into yet that you're interested in?
1: Definitely. So we've, we've bought all five with just our own cash. Uh, And the reason we did that is I wanted us to kind of go first and and make the mistakes on our own dime and get a bit of a track record uh, before taking in outside investors' money. I think the next few acquisitions that we do will be kind of a a fundless sponsor type of model where uh, we're just pooling investors' money into a single LLC and that LLC is controlled by us, right? And then um, put the asset, acquire the asset and, you know, kind of shove it in that LLC. I think we'll do a few of those. And then at the same time, I would absolutely love to explore an SBA loan for software.
0: Cool. So, um, you know, you're out there, you're looking at deals and stuff. You've been doing it for a while. You've learned a few things. Uh, What is something you know now that you you wish, uh, you know, you wish you would have known the day one on your first acquisition? Like, how can we give the people who are listening a, a, a heads up? Like, you should probably focus or learn this thing or, you know, before you get going?
1: I, in all honesty, don't feel like we have an answer to that question yet. I think that there's going to be quite a bit of stuff around uh, financing that when we really figure out what this model looks like for the next 20, 30 acquisitions, we're going to look back and say, shoot, I wish somebody would have just written this on like a three by five card and five bullet points and saved us about two years and I don't know, a million bucks. Right. Uh, I don't think that we've 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 landed on it yet. Um, the mistakes that we've made, I think, so far have been in um, uh, partnerships. So the crew that we have today for XO is not the crew that that started with uh, the company, um, and that's kind of just the nature of falling out with any kind of co-founder or stuff like that. So that was tough. Um, so picking the right business partners, uh, I think, is you know the biggest. Uh, the biggest thing you can get right because almost everything else is kind of fixable right the tech is fixable business problems can be fixable um you know all the, all those things can be easier when you kind of can put a couple of smart minds together that'll stick with each other through thick and thin
0: i just learned that lesson extremely the hard way uh the right team members can't go into details right now because we don't know how far we're going to go down the getting lawyers involved with it but sense. uh uh, we, we're, we're, looking at like a $500 million roll up that blew up because of the wrong team members. So, Damn. and we had over a hundred million dollars worth of, uh, companies under contract to join us in revenue, not profit, but revenue, um, uh, that had said, yes, we're working on negotiating the, the finals of the contract when one, uh, partner did something to disrupt the whole thing. Uh, I, I can see like, that's the biggest thing on any of these deals is knowing your teammates, knowing who you put on your team, you know, yeah. the best you can. I mean, there's always going to be something. Um, the benefit that we got out of that one is um, one of the things that's the benefit of us is we used uh, Mike Moyers. I don't know if you've ever studied or heard of Mike Moyers slicing pie, the dynamic equity model. So, mm-hmm. uh, People, So basically, uh, it's to simplify it, a dynamic equity model by Mike Moyer. It's a book called Slicing Pie or Slicing Pie Handbook, is what it's called. Um, you earn shares per hour. So instead of like you and I decided we wanted to create a business together, instead of saying it's 50-50, let's go do this. We go, okay, your market rate is 200. I'll agree my market rate is probably $200 an hour. We'll give each other two, 200 shares per hour per hour we put into this project. And then at the end, that creates a pie or a pool of shares and depending on how much time or effort you put in, you earn a percentage of it. So you don't have people that come in, like if you have four partners and one of them doesn't do any work and he still owns 25% of it, that that's yeah. not possible under uh, Mike Warrior's model. So we use that. That helped a lot. Um, and I'll use it again. Uh, I'm a big fan of it now. Um, and he's really accessible. I'm not trying to plug the guy. It's just like, there's a few books and, and tools out there that I like that worked really well
1: for me. And uh, that's one of them. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of like the whole point of vesting. Right. Which is no, I don't know if that's normal in the, um, it's normal in the software world, every, every employee, even co-founders, when you raise enough money that will put you on a vesting schedule with a one year, it's generally a four year vesting period with a one year cliff between zero and one year zero. Right. And then monthly vesting after that.
0: Right. So I've had a few of those. I had those type of options. Uh, actually, I, I you know had those type of op- options at quite a few of the, the startups that I got to be involved with. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I like to uh, you know just to kind of dive into a little bit is uh, there's a SaaS is really hot right now, and I believe that like, every industry, every uh, profession has some myths, some things that people like perceive as true. But if you're in the space, you're working it day and day, you just absolutely know it's a myth and you just wish it would go away. Is there anything yeah. like that inside of SaaS and, or you know buying and selling these uh, software companies that you just, the industry thinks it's true? Like I think it's 30x multiple and you're saying, yeah, not so much. So that's not like that could be one. But is there are there myths out there that people assume around software as a service that
1: just aren't so? I have, a, I have a few around product. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, cause, cause if you're coming from a non-technical background, I don't know that you think of product in the same way that I would think of product. Um, and so there's, there's a couple like conflicting ones that, that might create some cognitive dissonance, but like there's, there's a bunch of products out there that, um, are ugly as sin and extremely profitable and sticky. And if they don't change for the next 10 years, nobody cares, they're going to continue using it and paying for it. Um, so there's that. But also, that's probably not the product that you're thinking about buying, um, even though it probably looks ugly as sin. And you think that you can just kind of clean it up and, and uh, flip it around. Um, yeah, no, I know I, the, the technology, I, maybe maybe this is a this is a, a tweetable one. Technology doesn't matter. As much as you think it does in a tech company.
0: Okay, so, so the tech stack of- doesn't doesn't matter as uh, as much as I would think it was. What does matter?
1: I mean, the same thing that matters when you when you're selling washing machines, or you have a you know a window cleaning business. It's customers, profit, right? It's it's building right. a real business I, outside of venture land. Inside of venture land, what matters, honestly, I think my answer to that question is story story matters you're crafting a story around uh, some some innovation wave and, and there's a timing piece to that but
0: i think we works an exact example of how scary story works right yes. inside of yes. the uh, venture capital space the so story the story is the business you know and a lot of the vc backed things it's uh, and, and and it's the people can people believe that you can fulfill on that story mm-hmm. right can That's you right. tell a can you tell a uh a believable you know, story that people want to get behind and help you try to accomplish. And that, yeah. that's true with any business, right? In Any business, you got to enroll and get people to see your vision and help you get there. But yeah. in the venture capital, I can see where that outweighs a lot of stuff. It's almost in my world, it's almost irrational, right? You know, go back yeah. to your ugly, ugly software mode. I mean, how many people you think have wasted money trying to reinvent Craigslist.com and, you know, to this day, people are still paying and using that, you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah.
1: One, one, one quick note on, on the story thing though. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. world's captivated in the past couple of weeks with the Elizabeth Holmes thing. And I think what, outside of the politics of, of what went down, uh, et cetera, there's a lot of gray area in what a founder says in some of those rooms. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's, you could imagine a scenario I'll say where, uh, she ended up, being right after in the in the very long haul right raised a bunch of money but ended up building the machine that did the thing and was actually uh, a hero of the story and not a villain i just think that that's that's just illustrates how powerful this this kind of story concept is in that world
0: yeah unfortunately she uh she's playing a high risk game of can i develop it before they figure out the fact that i didn't to do you know, that. I don't have it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, I, but the, you know, that, that feels, that feels not that far off from the kind of commonplace of at least my experience with Silicon Valley and building tech companies is that you are selling ahead of where you are technically, how far ahead you sell and how far ahead you paint that picture. And then how, you know, w- what ends up happening when the rubber hits the road and the customer says, okay, we need to buy it um it's i don't know it's tricky it, it brought up a lot of uh kind of conflicting things for me and i, I don't know where i stand on some of these things it takes that, if you're going to be 100 percent truthful in this world and go pitch to some of the best vcs in the world you're not going to get the money i, I believe that 100 percent.
0: it's interesting Is uh i try to create an online dating service and i hate to uh parade my failures out there but i created a site called honestyfirst.com and i spent an enormous amount of my money trying to get it up and running i thought i'd solve the mr potato head or mrs potato head problem right you go out on a date and it kind of looks like the person you've seen online but somebody moves some stuff around right so uh but i i kept i built an algorithm and uh you know, I say I, I hired, I was in California, I hired a Stanford professor to come in and help me write an algorithm that did a, a weighted measurement to help people keep people honest in their profile based off of reviews from others. And, um, problem is nobody wants to be honest on their date site. Right. So, uh, I created a, I solved a problem nobody wanted solving. Right. <laughs> but, uh, one And the biggest problem, I you know, and I didn't think that was the problem at the beginning. I thought I had a chicken and egg problem, right? Nobody wants to be the first lonely soul in a city on a dating site. Right. And everybody else at the time, and I won't say who they are because I, I don't want to tangle myself into a, a lawsuit with somebody who, who has an enormous amount of money at this point. But one of the fairly popular, more recent, I say more recent, 10 or 15 years old now, but uh, dating sites faked it, faked it until they made it. They used to jump on the developer forums, like the the war rooms and stuff. We would hang out in you know these little chat rooms. We you know we'd hang out in that, and say, "Hey, I really need somebody to help me create a bunch of fake profiles." And they they would send out fake you know so they faked it until they made it, and now they made it. I yeah. could not. No, one. I just could not do that personally. And secondly, I named my site Honesty First, so it would be the death of the thousand swords if I got caught doing that. Unlike these other guys who named themselves something a little more logical. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah they would create all kinds of fake profiles and then send fake flirts like they you know some hot chick would flirt with you on there and it's like Ooh. I just can't do that right I had you know I had an entire development team I built out of you know, in India that was writing software for me we could have done it I could have bought stock photos and did what they did or paid people to let me use their photos like yeah. they were doing and wrote you know tools in there to you know random sets. you know I just could it wasn't that hard the technology wasn't hard to fake it yeah but I just could not pull myself into it. And I was like, uh, so I'm out there pitching VCs to raise money for something and couldn't get traction. And, uh, both a blessing and uh, a curse. Uh, I had a family emergencies that kind of made me re- reformat my attention and taking my eyes off of it. It's like, and you know, I'll just be straightforward. My mom passed away of a heart attack. And then 18 months later, I, I so I, I came here to Oklahoma to help with that. And then, uh, started spinning my startup back up, getting it you know more involved again, and then I got my dad got diagnosed with terminal cancer, and uh, and so I kind of shut it back down to focus on him for a little while, and that reprieve away from it opened my eyes, like, look, I'm spending all this money in the world on this, and it's not working how yeah. far down. So uh, I never I never pulled it back out, out of the mothball after that. It kind of learned my lesson. And uh, one of the things that VCs actually were saying to me during the process was like, look, you don't have a dating site. You have a software tool. You should try to sell your technology to match any harmony and those type of things. And uh, I talked to some kind of low-level guy over at uh, one of those. I won't say who it is, but they're like, nobody they're the ones that told me nobody wants to be honest in their profile we actually thought about going down this path you know a couple times and i I talked to two different of those bigger bigger ones and they both said that we thought about going down this path but you know our our members they wouldn't use it they would actually not like it you know so so lesson learned um let's jump back into kind of the, I'm, I'm way off track here, right?
1: (laughs) So I was just going to say, looping it back to your, your like Craigslist point either about how many people tried to reinvent Craigslist, you know, to build like the, this is, I think one of the myths in, in business broadly is that like, if you see a bunch of competition, you should stay away. Um, I think that that's broadly wrong. Like the number of, you brought up a CRM tool. The number of vertical specific CRM tools that are just pure software businesses that are out there is just astounding. And to go talk to their customers, their customers just love them. CRM for chiropractors sounds stupid, is not stupid. You know, it could be a very profitable business. So I think that too, if you're out there looking for some of these software businesses, don't shy away from something that has quite a bit of competition, right? It's okay to be the 35th dating site. If you have something unique and specific that fills a need, there's a lot of people out there.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um inside of the um I think we 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 brought we were approached just a little bit, but um like when when I'm looking for a business to buy, like I have a selection criteria and it's, you know, it's 5 years in business, we're profitable, the teams in place, you know, if somebody right now has a software as a service and uh, they're looking to to exit out of it, what is something you're looking for Is you I'm sure that's it's, it's slightly Similar, but different. What is your buying criteria to, to look at a software as a service?
1: So we have, we have stuff around price, the thoughts around price. Um, I think we're a little bit more flexible on, on market segments. There's some stuff that I just don't want to touch really. Like I think people when they think of software, um, they bundle like B2B software and B2C software um i am not a b2c guy you couldn't pay me enough to try and do a consumer application like it's just not what i know um and so it's only b2b saas um ideally there's 80% gross margins unless they are or, or higher unless there's some very very good reason for it um that's another kind of gotchas when you're digging into some of these saas businesses like oh well it's pure saas yes but if they have for example a lot of costs that they're paying out to Google or Amazon or whomever, you might end up with a, a profit margin that looks a lot more like a service business. Um, and so uh, be careful on that front. Uh, we have one of those that is a little bit higher, uh, just pure software costs that we pay out every month. So it's pure SaaS, but it, it's only, I don't know, 60% margins, which I know to this audience probably sounds great, but it, it's not great for us. Um, and then I think there's a size criteria for what we're trying to do. I know capital's cheap right now. Um, I've been putting together a small pool of investors to, ha- to go syndicate our next deal, too. It doesn't feel like capital is going to be an issue. I have just been spending a lot more time uh, in the past year and a half just trying to learn before I take outside money and go scale this up. I don't think the scale up will be that. Uh, I mean, of course, it'll be difficult, but I, I don't want to do it without having kind of gone first with our own, our own capital. Um,
0: yeah. Now, are you, are you looking to buy, scale, and then exit, or are you doing a buy, profitize, scale it, or whatever, and then hold on to it because it's a revenue generating tool for your for your system? What's your are you uh, are you you know? Do you have exits plan like an exit strategy for everything you buy?
1: uh no we do not so here let me let me uh, I'll, I'll walk you through where we're currently at we have two paths ahead of us i think one mm-hmm. the traditional path of let's go buy something bigger right uh what, what was the last company we bought how much did we you know how much did they make a year okay double that that's the next thing we want to buy um i think we're gonna tr- we're gonna try some of that uh there's also i believe a huge need and space in the micro sas world where if you make under ten thousand dollars in mrr and you meet certain criteria right um so some of that criteria might be like net negative churn it's kind of like a buzzword but basically uh you're you're, you're making more each month in new subscriptions than, or you're making more each month than like in in people upgrading like plans if you had like a silver uh like a bronze silver gold type thing then you are in in churn Um, and then of course, like some, some kind of growth. Um, but if you meet these criteria, then we'll just like buy you, right. Maybe it takes two weeks for us to just go through and and can we, can we swoop up a hundred of those, uh, in the next 12 months, right? If I had a war chest, uh, Mm -hmm. that might be, so, so those two paths, I feel like look very different in five years. Um, and I don't know which one is right. There are a lot of people going to let's buy bigger. Um, and there's almost nobody I've seen that's really trying to say, how do we operationalize with a shared services team, a hundred companies that do $10,000 a month.
0: So uh, <clears throat> inside of your model, or if you're don't have exit plans and stuff, are you just monetizing the monthly use of it and accumulating more revenue that way? Or are you actually looking to, what do you, I mean, what's the game plan?
1: Yeah. So there's and then the, so I, the, the second part of this is what, you know, how long do we hold these things for if it's for our if it's with our own cash, I uh, you know, having the cash flow is lovely, right? Having just this cash flow stream is great. The reality of it, though, is there's not that much left over for us. We're putting everything back into to growth as we should, as we should. So there are permanent capital models. Like if you wanted to check one of those out, uh, Shareswift Capital, um, mm-hmm. I'd say Tiny Capital as well. It's kind of the permanent capital one. They're not really looking to, to flip biz- businesses now um uh versus something that that uh i don't know is buying stuff for the short term and kind of flipping it um i don't know which one is best for us i don't know i think that when we start bringing in outside investors and do the fundless sponsor model that there's going to be an expect to uh, people are going to expect that we're going to have an answer to that and i think that for these initial ones that we do we're going to do like a max hold period of three years that's it right so like after 3 years or any time before that we're going to sell these that's that's kind of the objective but long term i'm just not sure
0: okay so one of the things i like to like you know talk to business owners about is if you're thinking about selling a brick and mortar business or a traditional size business There's a few things that almost all guys are doing the acquisition are going to look for. We're going to want to look at your last three years of books, right? Your Mm -hmm. last, everything is based off of three years, last year, last three years, uh, income statements, last year's three years tax returns. We want to see kind of how you've been performing. That's totally different in your space. Like some of these tools haven't been around there. So. Um, what is the, like, if somebody wanted to like build something and they're ready to sell it and they're just like, wanting, they've got their next idea or next project for whatever reason they're selling, right? Yeah. What do they need to do pr- to prepare themselves for you to look at it? Is there some thing they need to make sure they've got nailed down so it presents well for you?
1: Yeah, I, there are, there's a ton of education we have to do almost every time we talk to, uh, every time I ping somebody on micro Hey, we're interested. I know it's going to be at least 30 emails of me explaining, like, here's 16 terms that we use that are standard that like, I just want you to know so that we can like, I don't know, have a, have a decent conversation, right? Almost nobody understands really what SDE is or EBITDA. Like nobody's really thinking about their little SaaS business in terms of that. Uh, almost nobody has a PNL, Um, and I mean, like literally can't even export stuff from QuickBooks and just give me something, right? They just don't have that um we got a pnl the other day that that like removed all of the uh people costs i'm like dude like that still counts we we need to know that um so there's a ton of education that that uh i think that we have to go through but yeah i mean just the basics right like the thing that we always ask for is obviously that PL. so like at the base 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 level who are you paying uh like the people and then who what are you paying like for you know the, the, the software, right. It's like basically server costs and then people costs. Um, cause the rest is, is frankly like negligible sub, I don't know, hundred thousand dollar MRR. It's like, you're not spending that much money on, on anything other than people or tools, um, people or servers really. I mean, sometimes tool costs are high, but not, not often. Um, but yeah, we're looking at like total number of subscribers. Um, what's your like lifetime value. What's the churn rate. Um, some kind of growth rate. Uh, we always love to know. Uh, like let's say for instance, we leave the business and do nothing on marketing for the next quarter. Um, like where are these how are these people finding the business? Um, like what's what channels are working? Is it cold email working? Is it just organic search that's working? Is it, I don't know, miraculously Google Ads somehow, um, something like that. It's always nice for us to come into a business knowing like. Have you figured out some semblance of uh, a product market fit and the implication there is some channel to reach these people. Um, and then of course conversion rates, right? How many signups are you getting a week, how many free trials, right? What's your conversion rate? Cause a lot of these are something freemium. Um, uh, yeah. So like you sign up and you, you just put your email address in and you can use the product for free for there's all kinds of variants, but mostly it's like there's a free tier and then a paid tier. Um, yeah, I know that was a lot, but.
0: So <clears throat> you said you had like 16 terms. Most of those, what you were just saying is the same with brick and mortar businesses, right? Oh. Is there anything aside of like the tech stack? Like if you wrote this in, I don't know. I'm going to date myself. I don't even know if it still exists. Like Visual Basic, right? If yeah. you, I don't even know if that even still exists. But if you wrote it in Visual Basic, I don't even want to see it because it's crap. Is there any tech stacks out there you guys won't touch? Like if it's written in something or if they built it off of a particular platform or something, it's just kind of like... It's going to be more work than it's worth to 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 fix it.
1: I'm struggling with this this answer because we have some opportunities I'm dealing with now that are in a tech stack that uh, our shared services team doesn't know. And I don't know. Uh, in If you're buying a big enough business, that doesn't matter. The business comes with the people that know that. Fine, you just go pay for it. If you're tight on cash flow, right? Let's say they're sub 10K or 20K MRR and I can't really pay. I can only pay people like outside of the U.S. to do anything. Um, then I have to be a little bit more cautious because the business, let's say I buy it, you know, and it turns out actually like instead of the 10 feature requests that are super urgent, there's actually like 50. Right. And that's one of the surprises, you know, that's one of the surprises when buying a deal. Um, just make sure that the business can actually pay for it. One of our like little superpowers is that when we buy a business in tech stacks that we know, and our shared services team can go and build stuff against it. Dev is super cheap for us. That's like, it's like a, a generator of alpha for us is that Delta between what, what, what market says you'd pay for a software engineer and what our output is for these little businesses. Um, so yeah, at the moment, like I'm struggling with this now, do we, we're not at the point where we can add a person to our shared services team to like add a tech stack to our ability to execute against. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, but that being said, we do have two companies in our portfolio that are not our core tech stack. We've used contractors literally from Upwork that we literally, after we bought the business, just said, we have a thing in this language. Do you know it? Um, and I, I say that flippantly. I Another kind of alpha that we have is I can manage uh, like cheap overseas labor, um, because I can take a look and know exactly kind of what they're doing. Even if I don't know the tech stack or programming language, I can tell at a base level if it's good or bad, or if they're, they're you know, sandbagging or writing crappy code. Um, I think that that's something that unless you have somebody technical on your team is going to be very difficult to just trust that this guy or gal you found on Upwork that's 20 bucks an hour is going to like do the right thing. I mean, like they're not going to do the right thing. You know, you're going to get yourself into trouble. I know I've gotten myself into trouble with that before.
0: It's interesting is uh, um, when I worked back many years ago, I'm dating myself now, uh, 98, 99. Um, so back then when I worked at for Lockheed Martin, I was a uh, senior tech uh, test engineer. So, but I could read code and like, if we had the code reviews. This is for government software. I could yeah. read code I couldn't write in. I could understand the logic of it. And I could see. I could actually like detect there's a problem in the logic of the code in language yeah. I, I couldn't sit down and write in. Right? You know, back then I don't think I could. These days I've been out of it for so long. Time. I could write and see, right? Yeah. But uh, you know, some of the other languages and uh, some other stuff. There, and you know, I built our whole uh, that dating site I was telling you about. It, it was on PHP. I'm laughing now because it sounds so ridiculous to even do that. But uh, we built the whole thing on like you know, like almost a scripting language, right? So um, anyway uh pearl yeah or PhD. And, oh. yeah i think
1: the the one of the more concrete things that tends to happen is you'll say we need x right you'll describe some kind of end state for the software that you need it to, some function mm-hmm. that you need it to do it needs to be able to i don't know add a calendar and your tech guy will be like oh we can't do that and you don't have the ammunition or the knowledge to say like you yes you yes you absolutely can do that and here's how and it should be done in three days right and like you don't. I can do that, and that's right. how that's how we can get away with some of these things. But I think that, and I've seen this, and a bunch of people reach out all the time with this problem. Uh, you can't. You can't do that if you don't have the technical background to do it. I'm not saying if you're non-technical you can't buy SaaS businesses. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's all this cool stuff around no-code tools, right, where these the the actual software product is is built with another software product where nobody actually wrote code to do it, which is super cool. There's all kinds of things. So I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying. Be careful, know what you're getting into, try and get a tech partner to at least look at the code if you're not super familiar with it. Like just have a buddy on your side or or better, a partner that's that's kind of incentivized in the same way you are to um, do the right thing.
0: So one of the things I try to avoid, unless I'm the disruptor, I try to avoid buying a business where I see it could be totally disrupted and before I'm able to sell it. So inside of my space, like I'm a real estate investor by previous trade, I wouldn't buy a closing company right now because I honestly think that not crypto is in the coin, but the blockchain and non-fungible tokens, not the art, but the actual science behind it is going Mm -hmm. to replace your typical title company for both cars and homes. So if you owned a title company on a car, I think that that's going to go into the blockchain. I honestly, or even a a closing company for a house. Yeah. Um, So I don't, I try not to get into anything where I think there's a disruption company and unless, you know, coming and unless I'm disrupting it, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be in the path of that disruption. Mm. Um, Inside of the software as a service and inside of software in general, how far off do you think, and this is kind of a way out there, (laughs) but I like to throw something cool at everyone. So uh, how far off do you think we are before AI actually can write, write code, I can actually look at a problem you tell it what it, you know you give it an outline of what you wanted to create and the ai tool itself
1: could create the code around it yeah so you... it just so happens uh that company where i was cto was a computer vision and machine learning it was an ai company um so i have I've spent a number of years doing some parts of, of machine learning I, I refuse to call it ai because it's a lot dumber than people think it is uh and and by that i, I mean specifically it's uh these, the, there is no like this general AI that can do like all these fancy things. The, the It's actually quite narrow. Um, like this one little machine learning model, as they're called, does a very, very specific thing. Like literally it knows how to draw boxes around people. But if you asked it to draw a box around a dog and you didn't tell it what a dog was, nope, not going to happen. Um, and that's still kind of like, uh, you know, extrapolated out times, times, I don't know, some, some large number that's, that's still what's going on today with like self-driving cars and all these cool robotic stuff. Um, writing code specifically. So, um, I think it's going to happen in parts, right? So there are actually cool products now that help developers like myself predict what I'm going to be typing next. And so it, it, all this is to say that like. I don't know that it'll be like you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, Google, I want, build me an app that, you know, walks my dog and then like bakes me a pizza, right? Um, And then it just does that. I think it'll actually be like four, it'll make software engineers more um, productive, right? So like, let's say the output of a software engineer is five units with with some additional AI tooling, it might be like 50 or 500 or 5,000. Um, but like, as we've seen, I think with any kind of self-driving car or, or some of these more lofty, um, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, applications, there's like the first 80%, uh, and then there's the last 80%. Um, and that last 80% is a real doozy.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate uh, we're, we're at about 40, 47, 48 minutes now. One of the things I always like to do is if somebody wants to get a hold of you, they've got us either a SaaS idea or they've got one or I don't know. They just they think you're cool and want to chat with you about something they're working on. Um, you, you shared with me your, uh, your Twitter. So I'm going to put that up there now. Is there any other ways that we'd like people to reach out for you or is this the best way?
1: Twitter's great. At Andrew Pierna, Pierno, P-I-E-R-N-O.
0: So for those of you guys who are watching the video version of this, it's up live. The guys on the podcast, I'll actually put his um, uh, Twitter handle on the podcast description. I'll have my people do that, so you'll be able to to see it in there. So if you're listening and you didn't get that, just go back to the description of it, and it'll be in there. Um, anything else? Is there uh, one parting shot? Like, you know, is there? I always like to say, is there three tips that you'd like to give? Um, People are looking to either build or maybe in this case uh, buy a SaaS company that uh, that you would like them to know. Uh,
1: I'm a I'm a go do it kind of guy. Like just go go try it. I mean I think some of these things you could buy something for 25 50 grand, right? I don't know whatever number you're comfortable with. I'm sure there's a software company that you could go buy and experiment with, and just go try it. I
0: almost, uh, I did uh, a website software company and unfortunately I drove my feet just a little bit too much and somebody got in there before I did, but it was in the real estate space. And I, it was funny as I was looking through one of the websites and I was like, is that for sale? I actually knew them. Like I actually presented beside them at a couple, uh, of, uh, real estate related, you know, meetings. And, uh, so I reached out to the lady that owned it and, uh, but yeah, that would, you know, it was generating Oh, 25, 30,000 a year. And she wanted 60,000 for it. I was all right. about it. The only reason uh, I drugged my feet a little bit is I'm not in the real estate space. So I, I brought on a friend who uh, is, and by the time I got him involved with it, she had already sold it to somebody else. But yeah. Mm. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of small deals out there to get your feet wet. So I, I think that's a great point. Um,
1: well, yeah. But let's, let's be very clear. You're buying a job. Uh, that, that first initial small one, you're buying a job. We are still buying jobs, even though we have five of them. I now just have five jobs, but, uh, to really escape, get any kind of escape velocity and buy, start re- buying real kind of cash flow, uh, it's going to, it's going to take a while. If you think you're just going to buy these things and, and sit back and, and set my ties on the beach because you read one of those stupid books, like it's not going to happen.
0: <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I was just listening to somebody else's podcast and he was talking about, uh you know, guys who bought a bunch of, uh, plugins for Chrome and stuff. And, uh, one of the guys was talking about how much money he wasted because he just thought he was going to buy these and monetize them. And he could pick them up for some of them. He said, I was picking these things up for like five or 10 cents a user, like user base. And, uh, you know, so I would pick up a hundred thousand users for, you know, you know, a, a few, few, thousand bucks and uh, thinking I'm going to monetize it. And I spent more than I paid for the company trying to monetize it and stuff. And the users just weren't buying. Right. Yep. So the good, he goes, the good news is I didn't risk that much money. And, and in the grand scheme of things, I learned enough that, uh, that I had I'd to paid for or else it would have cost me more. So uh, <laughs> there's, yeah, get out there, do it, just do it. I like that. Uh, I'm a, you said you, you you're the gunslinger. I, uh, I often get accused of being the ready, fire, aim guy. Right. I jump yep. in and figure it out as I go. And, uh, yep. so I appreciate that. Well, Andrew, thank you for being on. I appreciate your time. People, uh, if you want to get a hold of him, uh, he's Andrew Prino.
1: Did I get that right? Pierno.
0: Pierno. Man, I Pierno. It. it helps with so, the hand.
1: It's a little Italian. Pierno. <laughs> Pierno. All right. I
0: like that. I like the, uh, I like the SAS around it, right? Like software as a service, got some SAS in your name too, a different way. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your time and uh, I'm going to end the recording now and then you and I can chat for a couple seconds. All right. Great.
1: The investors and entrepreneurs,
0: professional mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneur Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book *Think and Grow Rich*, with accountability partnering, where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.